of the precept of not giving or taking drugs. Soft nature is subtle and mysterious in the realm of the intrinsically pure Dharma. Not giving rise to delusions is called the precept of not giving or taking drugs. Drugs are not brought in yet, don't let them invade. That is the great light. Now please sit comfortably. It's a huge pleasure and uh, uh, long in the gestation uh, of uh, uh, doing a talk with uh, Bridget and myself doing a joint uh, talk. Uh, this goes back a long time when Bridget sent me uh, a link on the internet with uh, Jack Cornfield and uh, a poet in his sangha doing a, a joint talk together and I was excited by this and didn't do anything for a while but when this precept came up I thought because of its depth and its richness and its humanity and its controversy uh, it would be a great one to share uh, with Bridget. So here we are tonight finally uh, after months uh, getting to do this. Um, I will talk on the formal uh, aspects, traditional aspects in relation to Jukai and uh, the tradition um, and uh, uh, Bridget will follow with uh, the poetry and the depth and humanity of the, uh, the precept. Uh, to give a context for discussing the precept of uh, taking up the way of not giving or taking drugs, I'll just talk briefly about the ten uh, grave precepts, of which this one is the fifth uh, of them. And the ten grave precepts are, do not kill, do not steal, do not misuse sexuality, do not lie, do not cloud the mind, don't speak of the errors of others, do not elevate uh, yourself and blame others, uh, do not be withholding, uh, don't indulge in anger, uh, don't defame the three treasures. So they're the ten grave precepts. The Ten Grave Precepts are all about ahimsa, uh, reducing the harm uh, that we do to others and ourselves. Uh, this is the moral, the ethical uh, aspect. Uh, as lay people, we voluntarily take these precepts, take up these precepts to guard our mind, to facilitate our practice, and to live in harmony with our fellow sentient beings, and indeed with the earth itself. Uh, when we take Jukai, uh, we formalise these commitments in a ceremony at our friends, uh, our Sangha companions and family uh, gather to support us. The Ten Grave Precepts uh, are also uh, the means to living and actualising our enlightenment. Although that experience may be private, we have to make it real in how we treat others, how we act in the world, uh, where we're defined and judged, and where we experience inevitable challenges and difficulties. Uh, enlightenment is as enlightenment does. And these are the guide to our behavior, to uh, how, how we present enlightenment, uh, how we embody uh, enlightenment. So these are guidelines for how we act in the world and how we treat our fellow beings. Very importantly, 
uh, the precepts, uh, the ten great precepts are defined in the not. I take up the way of uh, uh, not giving or taking drugs. Uh, I take up the way of uh, not stealing and so on. Um, this is very powerful because the defining and the negative creates boundary. Um, sometimes the precepts can be considered from the other way, like I take up the way of not stealing, I take up the way of being generous. But that's very open, that's open at the edges, whereas the other one tends to close. So this is also about boundaries. They enable us to set boundaries for ourselves and others. They are not a rod to beat ourselves with or others with. Fault finding is out. Uh, these are precepts, but fault finding is out. Uh, there's even a precept about this. Uh, uh, not speaking of the faults of others. We don't compare ourselves with others and find ourselves without blemish. There's also a precept about that. So they, which is uh, not praising oneself while abusing others. Um, the range of the precepts, of the ten grave precepts, is very broad and very human and encompasses um, uh, so many aspects of who we are. The precepts are expressions of enlightened mind. And the verses that I read out at the beginning uh, make this really clear. The living of the precept is the expression of that mind, uh, of that vastness, of that uh, purity, uh, beyond right and wrong, beyond ugly and beautiful, beyond up or down. John Tarrant has this beautiful expression. He says, the precepts are the golden thread of love that binds us to the way. Uh, they are written in something more fluid than water. Uh, completely empty. Living the precepts makes us conscious of our intentions, our motivations, our desires. Taking up the precepts uh, helps us, us to get to know our heart uh, very intimately. Uh, living the precepts also enables us to affect important changes in our lives. Tonight we take up the fifth grave precept, the precept of not giving or taking drugs. This is a centrally important precept which is on all of the precept tables, all of those lists of precepts, uh, whether they be for monastics or lay people. Uh, every one of them includes this uh, vow. Uh, going all the way back to the Buddha's original Sangha. One reason why it is so central a precept is that when we are intoxicated or drugged, we are much more likely to break all the other precepts. So it's kind of, uh, this is the precept that makes everything else soluble and possible, if you like. So it's very important. Um, you know the statements coming from court, Your Honour, I was drunk at the time. 
dot, dot, dot. And it goes in many directions. In the ceremony of Jukai, where the precept formally takes up the, uh, where the student formally takes up these precepts, we chant the verses by Bodhidharma and Dogen. Bodhidharma's verse is, self-nature is subtle and mysterious in the realm of the intrinsically pure Dharma, not giving rise to delusions is called the precept of not giving or taking drugs. When we awaken to our self-nature, uh, we discover that we are not bounded by our skin, we're not bounded by our skull, we are not bounded by our ideas. We discover that mind that is in all things, uh, the dearest freshness deep down things, to use Gerard Manley Hopkins' beautiful phrase, the dearest freshness deep down things is vast and dimensionless, no other than mountains and rivers, the sun, the moon and the stars, as Dogen puts it. This is the vastness and purity of the Dharmakaya body. Hmm. Before each precept, before the verses are chanted, uh, the line, self-nature is subtle and mysterious, is so beautiful because it's like the three bodies uh, of the Buddha. Uh, the Namanakaya body is the body uh, as, as you have it. Um, you know, five foot two, uh, five foot ten, six foot, six foot two, fat, thin, uh, that body, okay? Uh, and yet within that body uh, is the vastness itself. Uh, the famous line, in that five foot two body, uh, uh, in that five foot two body, the universe comes and goes. So this is the subtle and mysterious thing. How can that be? It's impossible, but it's not impossible for you or any of us, or for cats, or dogs. <laughs> so not giving rise to delusions means that we don't encourage delusory attitudes about who we are. We don't cultivate them, about our relation to others and to reality at large. The fact is that we are not separate from the earth and all those who inhabit it. And also we are intimate with each and every one along with the ocean, stars and the cold night air. Clouding the mind with drugs and alcohol clouds this matter, if it was clear in the first place. If you want to experience your self-nature, your essential nature in its vastness, you shouldn't cover it up. Ultimately, it's redemptive. Uh, the power of Zen is it goes beyond just pure and impure. And, uh, in the longest run, uh, the, the furthest <laughs> outer edge of things, uh, even the moments of unclarity come back and uh, are redeemed. Uh, they are also vast. Um, but it is also important to live the way, to take it up in your life. I don't think it's good to trust that uh, long-term redemption, um, but rather to uh, clarify Keep the mind clear and open. This is the very matter of ordinary mind is the way. Uh, even in its shamelessness, uh, the mind uh, is 
the source of imagination, creativity, and the means to understand the Dharma. Um, even its concerns, worries, fears, boredom uh, are more interesting and a lot more effective in moving us into connection with others than induced states, even very fancy induced states. Uh, and this includes addiction to special states in Zazen, where you keep trying to recreate the same state, uh, usually doomed to failure, uh, or at the very least to diminishing returns. Um, so that is also addiction. Addiction is a rich uh, field. Uh, sometimes we think we are deep, but depth perception in Zazen is often an illusion. We feel deep. Uh, we cultivate that feeling. But actually feeling annoyed and irritable is at least as good. Uh, not to value one state over another. So Dogen, his lines are, drugs are not brought in yet, don't let them invade, that is the great light. He is also speaking for the vastness and purity of the Dhammakaya, with that is the great light. Where there is no self, no other, no crooked, no straight, no addicted, no being clean. This is, drugs are not brought in yet. This is, uh, there are no drugs nor not drugs in this state. But what about when drugs are brought in? This is, this is, where, this is the bite of this precept, for the consequences are savage. It's so consequential. Um, in a way, it's too obvious to need stating. Uh, you know, driving while drinking, people being killed or maimed in road accidents, domestic violence against women and children, the damage to relationships generally, brain damage due to binge drinking, fetal alcohol syndrome, debilitating illnesses, uh, the carnage in accident and emergency departments. Uh, I teach um, piano to a young doctor and uh, he, uh, who works uh, in charge of an emergency uh, department in a hospital. Uh, and he tells me about the carriage of Saturday nights, and I'm sure he would opt for a very literal interpretation of this precept if he was asked. Effecting change in society is difficult because alcohol in particular is so accepted in our society. Drinking is so encouraged, especially as it is tied to our commonly accepted notions of freedom, social acceptability, grooviness, being cool, rites of passage, especially around masculinity, all fueled by advertising. Um, I, I, re I really react badly to the one that says, you deserve it, and you've got some guy at home from the office and, you know, having a beer. But, um, you know, like you can think of all the situations that uh, you can feel like <laughs> you deserve a beer, you know. But on that basis, you, you know, it's... Um, there's something kind of cheap about you deserve it, and I prefer Isan Dorsey's line, you get what you deserve, whether you deserve it or not, which is a wonderful, wonderful uh, line, uh, which points to not only to karma, it's not like, well, you get what happens to you, uh, regardless of whether you deserve it. That's one aspect. But you get what you deserve, whether you deserve it or not. Uh, the very life you have, it points to that that fundamental gift, uh, that mysterious gift. Yeah. Uh, did you have to deserve it? 
Not really. As a society, we're very strong on the right to drink, uh, even to brain-destroying excess, but relatively weak on our responsibilities. The fact that heavy drinking is harmful to others and ourselves, that it imposes a burden on families, on work, on workmates, and ultimately on the medical system and just about everybody else, is very backgrounded. Um, after all, I'll do what I like. Uh, it's my life. Uh, yet in a real sense, you know, in one way that's true, and in another sense we don't own our lives. even though aspects of them are necessarily private. They seem to be ours. But in a way, our life is also the universe in its unfolding, especially as conveyed by our fellow beings, uh, close and not so close. I love that expression, everyone's trying to have a piece of me. Uh, you know, in terms of when people want stuff from you. Uh, and, uh, but that's how it is, <laughs> you know. Uh, in a way, uh, are, the nature of the self includes those people and uh, their claims. Uh, we are at the intersection of so much, so much that comes and goes in self-nature, um, yet nothing bumps into anything else. The idea of taking responsibility and seeing the wider implication of our behaviour gets about as much grip as the argument that, like it or not, um, we have to die, and if we didn't, there would be no room or resources for generations to come after us. And this is often used as an argument against the fear of death, and they say, well, you know, if we didn't die, there would be no room for anybody else, and this would happen quite rapidly. Um, the argument is so worthy, even compelling, but we don't stop fearing or sensibly avoiding death. Likewise, we don't stop drinking because of the wider implication. Each argument is, uh, is worthy um, and has very little grip. Uh, so when we take up the precepts, uh, it's sometimes thought that there are three ways to take a precept. You can take it literally, uh, you can take it compassionately, and regardless of those two, uh, each Precept is an expression of Buddha nature. We all vary and our needs and desires and challenges differ. Um, I think it's fine to take this precept literally, and many do. You know, we're so afraid of our Puritan forebears and of Puritanism generally that often we have trouble taking a stand and treating uh, a precept like this as a rule uh, for ourselves. Um, and, you know, one can understand temperance leagues and, you know, the notion, lips that touch wine shall never touch mine, and uh, all of that tradition. Um, but that impulse was also about protecting women and children and families. And, uh, in that regard was well-founded. It was not simply a matter of being holier than thou or holier than the person who was drunk. Uh, generally taking a precept literally brings much discovery and joy. Uh, not speaking of the faults of others, for example. It's a kind of fasting of the heart 
and uh, it's great to take up a single precept and live with it for a while, see if you can take it literally uh, into your life. In the case of the precept about not giving or taking drugs, this means uh, being absolute about not drinking or taking drugs oneself and not supplying others. The precept means what it says. Some of us have come to the way because of our problems with alcohol and drugs or because our parents had such problems. It's interesting to see family patterns that, that behind our decisions uh, with the precepts. My parents were teetotal and it was the fun of cork to try and get them to have a drink at family parties and things like that. Both my mother's father was alcoholic and violent and my father's uh, father was alcoholic. Um, and in reaction to my parents, I went through a stage of relatively heavy drinking, I suppose, early on, but sort of settled down, um, I think, with having family and that to a more sedate and uh, temperate lifestyle. Um, my kids are very temperate and, you know, barely, barely drink. So, you know, the family patterns change from generation to generation. Music, Zen and literature are full of formidable drinkers and drug takers. Um, there's a strong association with creativity and the power of alcohol and heroin and, uh, to fuel uh, creativity. There's a terrifying paradox at the heart of a lot of this though, and this really, because I teach young students, and you know, people say, well, Charlie Parker did lots of heroin, um, but look, you know, listen to the music. And it's possible that, that the music would have been different uh, you know, if he hadn't have been high a lot of the time. But the reality was he practised 12 hours a day in his teens, having been humiliated. He got up to jam with a band and he could only play on one key, B-flat, which is the, uh, the, the comfortable key on the saxophone he had, and they, they laughed him off the stage. He went home and practised for 12 hours a day and his mother nearly got evicted because the neighbours, it just drove the neighbours absolutely nuts. Um, but the reality is that I think Parker was great because he practised 12 hours a day. Um, you know, but people say, well, if I take a lot of, young musicians say, if I take a lot of drugs, well, I'll be like Charlie Parker, but it's much easier to take drugs than it is to practice 12 hours a day. And um, so that paradox is right at the heart of that. And uh, Parker himself was distressed by the fact that so many pe young people imitated uh, him. I was appalled and couldn't do anything about it, really. So I guess Bebop was, you know, Partly what Bebop was because of Heron, but it was also hugely what it was because of the dedication of the musicians who played it. I like those signs which say, respect yourself. These are the great things. I like these big signs on things. Respect yourself. Uh, to respect yourself is in the deeper sense to respect others. If you truly respect yourself, if you respect yourself in your depths, you are respecting others. And to respect others is to respect yourself, likewise, in a deep way. Asceticism uh, arising in Zazen has its power, depth and joy. It's a joy like no other. When we get a taste of it, we find that it can replace harmful craving too. We get a sense that less is more. There is a sense that we need less in terms of possessions and indeed of pleasures. Even the bland or downright boring can become interesting. The world wakes up 
colours more so, are more so, sounds are more so, family, friends, the people we meet are experienced as infinite and infinitely precious. Uh, the second aspect that, of taking a precept, the compassionate aspect. Uh, people doing Jukai take the precept compassionately, which is to say it's good to have a glass of, of, for the sake of conviviality, to warm the social occasion, to relax with friends. Robert Aiken talks really fondly of Nyogen Senzaki, who was a teacher of San Roshi, who taught uh, Robert Aiken. He was a young man, very puritanical, um, uh, in many ways fearful, and the contact with Nyogen Sensaki was wonderful because Nyogen Sensaki loved, loved sake, would sit up late at night, he'd put chestnuts on the fire for him, he would chat to him and, have, and he would encourage him to drink. And he said the warmth of Nyogen Sensaki was huge for him uh, in his development of his humanity. I like a glass of wine at the end of the gig, but not at the beginning, because I'm one of those musicians who doesn't thrive. <laughs> I've heard recordings of myself while, uh, while drunk, and uh, they're terrible. You know? So I swore off drinking anything before gigs, but I, I love to have, sit and have a glass of wine with the fellow band members at the end of the gig. Um, I likewise have a beer with my son when he comes around, glass beer with my daughter when we're at the footy and the Dockers go six goals up. Originally it was five goals but they were winning matches by so much that I, I stretched it out to six. So these feel really important too. Um, in a way I feel abstemious in my life but these occasional drinks uh, get to mean a lot. And I love the fact that Jules, my son, after the f film on Ruin Piano, there was no uh, wine available at the State Library but Jules brought some wine and some plastic cups and we stood around under the eyes of the guards outside having a drink to celebrate the, the film. There's a beautiful uh, image in a film which uh, Pedro Rojo uh, gave me to look at. Uh, it's about Pablo Neruda and at the end of the film it's a very shaky video uh, ancient video from the 70s, just before he died. And he's sitting outside his house. I'm not sure which one it is now. It might be Valparaiso. And he's sitting with his uh, partner, uh, Mathilde Urutier. And they're drinking out of a giant cut glass goblet. I mean, it's huge, like this. Um, almost a bowl. And that it is such a, a celebration of, of love and connection. Um, it is very beautiful if you can get a look at it. The DVD is called Pablo Neruda's Houses. And uh, I, I recommend it to you. Uh, there's a card about drunkenness. A monk asks Saoshan, when one leaves off his mourning clothes, how about that? In other words, when one has experienced emptiness and walked on from that. How about that? Sarshan said, Sarshan said, oh, Shan said, today has fulfilled filial piety. Okay, meaning he has 
acquitted his uh, debts to the ancestors. In other words, he's had the experience uh, of, of, of the ancestors. Um, Sachin was a very sober man, I think, <laughs> who, who made very, very arcane contributions to the five ranks literature. Um, had never stayed in a monastery for more than three weeks because he, he hated getting involved in the politics of wherever he was. So he was always moving on, moving on. And it's kind of hard to imagine this. Um, and then the monk says, well, how about after you have fulfilled piety? And uh, Sarshan says, Sarshan loves to get drunk. <laughs> okay. Uh, this may be literal, we don't know, but getting drunk in this context is the the very richness of exactly where you are. Uh, you get drunk on it. Uh, the people in the dojo, uh, light on skulls, uh, the, the pressure of your bottom on the mat, uh, the walls, the stars, the ocean, and going back forever. Uh, the grape is made of wine, and we are enlightened from the beginning. Thank you. <laughs>